Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Were you uh, surprised by the trade request yeah, I was real surprised. Um, you know, I think John spoke a lot on that last week, I think, and I feel pretty much the same. We were surprised, but it also once it does happen, you know, you know this business, so it can't surprise you too much. Um, but, yeah, we were disappointed a little bit, but uh, it's part of this business, and, I mean, you'll consider anything. Um, you have a responsibility to help your organization the most you can. Um, but uh, losing a player like Debo, um, it's hard to see how that helps your organization. So you try to look in all the aspects of it and what people are willing to do, and um, nothing was even remotely close that we thought would be fair for us or fair for the Niners. We had a conversation with Debo yesterday in which you said that it doesn't look like we're not going to trade you. We're not entertaining the offers. Oh, uh, no, yeah. We haven't talked to Debo for a couple weeks. By not trading him yesterday and today, it seems to indicate that you're confident you can work things out with him. Why are you confident you can work things out with Debo? Um, just because I think we can Kind of hard to work things out if he won't pick up the phone. I have a feeling that the fact that Kyle Shanahan hasn't spoken with Debo Samuel in a couple of weeks isn't for lack of trying to call him. Yeah, I doubt Later that Later in that either. same press conference, Kyle Shanahan talked about how he prefers in season because the guys are there. Right. They can't avoid you. Right. They're there. You want to go talk to him, you walk up to him. Off season, you call them. They hit the uh, the fu button. Yeah. And especially uh, when there's a contract. They been, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and you know what? Even though we're still caught up in this stupid-ass mystery of why Debo wants out, and no one from the 49ers will talk about it, at one point on Friday or Saturday when Kyle Shanahan was discussing it, he kind of blurted out, he was answering a different question, he blurted out contract situation. Yeah. So contract's at least part of this, of course, if not all right, of it. It's right, contract. Right. And it, you know what? It may be, it may be, it may be, because A.J. Brown – the now Eagles receiver who was traded by the Titans, obviously, on Thursday night. He said that the Titans offered him $16 million per year at one point, yeah, which is right. an insult. It is an insult. Maybe the 49ers tried some game like that. Maybe I, whatever I, the 49ers put on right. the table right. to get things started was so low that Debo Samuel said, are you 
effing kidding me. And that was it. I'm done. I'm done. We're not starting here. And that's the, that's the danger in any negotiation. We all, we, all, we all want to avoid our bottom line right out of the gates. But if you start so low right out of the gates that the person looks at it and says, are you kidding me? Yeah, right. That's your, that's your opener? Right. Uh, I'm out. See ya. But we're wasting our time. We're just wasting our time. Yeah. That may be what happened. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't. I mean, I, again, it's, it's hard to figure out exactly what it is. Uh, I, I think I said a little last week, I've gotten the sense that it's, you know, a bunch of things. But I've also gotten a sense that the 49ers don't know exactly what it is, you know, or what exactly set it off to the fact that we don't talk to them. But, yeah, you've, you've heard my little inklings, the California stuff. You know, there has been the rumor that they got a little farther down the road, maybe with Bosa and conversation there about the contract. Did Debo get wind of that? Did Debo get wind of the money they were going to offer him? And then maybe got, you know, so I don't know yet. I don't know. Either way, it's not good right now. But we just said it before. Shanahan, why he's not going to give up on this is for all the reasons we've stated. Debo's awesome. Arguably the best weapon in football right now. Best receiver in football. He'd be my top guy. And then we talked about the Trey Lance aspect. And then, unlike those other guys, you know, for the most part of Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, they haven't been able to benefit totally from this guy and what he brings to the table yet. It's only been, you know, three-year career. This was by far his best year. So he's about to hit the prime. Um, so they're, they're not going to give this up. And Shanahan, he's, he's got too much, I know this, confidence in his ability to talk and to relate to players that I think he's going to exhaust every last moment and option to see if he can't work some of his magic to get back into the ear of Debo Smith and, I mean, Samuel, and start, you know, working on him to be a 49er once again. And they're hoping that the passage of time will help. Right. At one point, Shanahan said, we're hopeful that once we're through this draft, things will settle down because, look, the draft becomes an obvious opportunity for someone to make the 49ers an offer they won't refuse. And the best offer they got, at least the best offer of which we know the details, came from the Jets. Tenth overall pick. All right. Great start. Fifth round pick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But they also wanted a second round pick wow. back from the 49ers. Right. I mean, I, again, that th- if I'm – I've said this before. If I'm Robert Sala, who is a head coach in large part because of my relationship with Kyle Shanahan, I may say to Joe Douglas, do we really, are we really making that offer? Yeah. I really, can you make sure that, that, that you tell Kyle that I was not on. That was not part of me. (laughs) It was not an insult. Right. Right. Unless it was some sort of, as we've said, I think last week, some sort of a next level effort to convince Debo that there's no real market for him and they were doing the 49ers a favor. And I think at some level it does help the 49ers that they're able to say to Debo, Debo, if you think you're worth X, then that means we can't give you away. We, We can't just hand you to some other team. If you're one of the top receivers in the NFL and you are, we can't give you up for the 10th overall pick, a fifth rounder, and we have to give them a second rounder. That's yeah. an insult to us, and it's an insult to you. Yeah, no doubt about it. Exactly right. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll sit here again and state that he deserves more than what Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill got in their trade, as far as the assets, in my opinion. A guy that's just about to hit the prime of his career compared to guys that, you know, got some tread off the tires already? Absolutely. But I think it goes back to a little thing. You know, first off, the Jets are going, well, maybe they're desperate. Maybe they, who knows? Maybe they got some news this weekend how pissed off Debo Samuel really is. 
You know, maybe they know something about Debo Samuel and how he might not want to go there. I mean, Salah, maybe he has a relationship with Debo Samuel to a degree. Or Michael Fuhr, who was in, in San Francisco before that, the offensive coordinator. So maybe they knew something to go, this ain't going to get mended anytime soon. Let's just take a low bar shot and see if it happens. And I think that's probably what they did. But uh, I just, 49ers, Lynch, Shanahan, they're not giving up on this. This is Shanahan's baby. This is his baby. And I don't, I mean that in a way of just his football. But like, I would bet if you had to rank like importance of people in their organization to Shanahan, yeah, Trey Lance is one because they went all in and Shanahan pushed all the chips in there. But after that, like Debo's his second round find. He's Shanahan's an ex receiver. He sees the game through the receiver's lens. He's all about this. So this is this hurts him, I bet, to his to his core. And that's why I think he's really going to go down swinging trying to salvage a situation. The other perspective on the idea that maybe the Jets know what's really going on. Yeah. I've heard the argument that for the Jets to make that offer, they recognize that there are limits to Debo and that you know that that and I don't buy that. Sure. I don't buy that. They right. wouldn't be they wouldn't be thinking about giving up the 10th overall pick as part of any package if they didn't believe in the player. But it's just it's just odd that that's the best offer the 49ers attracted for a guy who can come in and play at a high level when you consider that that same weekend AJ Brown got moved from Tennessee to Philly and Hollywood Brown went from Baltimore to Arizona. The two guys that we didn't know were so close to being traded and we were led to believe they weren't going to be traded and didn't want to be traded. They get traded. Now, Brown wanted to. We just didn't know it. The guy we know wants out can't get out. It's just weird. We've got four receivers now that we didn't know how badly they want out of the places they were in and they all got out. And the one guy we know wants out can't get out. Maybe the message going forward is, don't make it publicly known because I think once it's it probably hurts known, it, right? That makes it harder for your team to get the best pa- uh, possible package. I think so, and especially this late in the game too. We've said that, you know. Again, there's there's teams that are a little cash strapped. They've already gone down the line of like, wait, we figured out team. Wait, now we get into Debo. Wait, we're gonna have to release this guy. Do this, do that, do that. Oh no, man, there's a lot of moving parts here to that. There is that issue, but they could figure it out. But I think it's it is more compli- complicated because of the pu- the publicity around it. To your point, Mike, that's become a thing. And then, how much money is Debo Samuel really want? I mean, you hear that he wants to be the highest paid non quarterback in football. Well, you know that's a different story than just four years, a hundred million dollar AJ Brown. I'll take this and get out of the way, and here we go. That's easy. So these, uh, that's the other aspect. These teams are going like, what exactly do we got to pay this guy to get him here to do this too? And that adds or, or lessens the value of the, the whole thing. There have been at least two or three, maybe more comments and observations made by Debo Samuel on social media yeah. in the 12 days since his trade demand came out that got deleted. And I can't help but wonder whether or not they would have deleted what he said to Jeff Darlington of ESPN if they could. That – that it was a weak moment, that it was an impulse, that he came out and said, I, I asked for a trade. Because, again, just as it relates to these high-stakes negotiations that happen between teams, if you know the guy wants out, then you're more inclined to lowball 
and and even if you start low and you're still going to move, your bottom line is going to be lower than it would be if you really do believe the guy otherwise is going to stay. That's a key ingredient in all of this, making other teams think that the guy is going to stay. And, you know, they're trying to sell that with Jimmy Garoppolo and no one buys it. Uh, They're trying to sell it with Debo Samuel, and they hope it happens that he does stay. But the fact that he's on record is saying he wants out. That's hard to walk back from. And, you know, from his perspective – from his perspective, how does he walk back from that in a way that saves face without a new contract? How does he how does he stay in San Francisco this year without a new contract? I think that's, that's not very hard happen. to do. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he's staying in San Francisco without a new contract. When they mend the fences, part of mending this or getting the relationship back together will be, hey, buddy, don't forget, and here's your pile of gold as well. Like, I, I just think that's going to be part of this. Uh, you said it right. Uh, I, I think that, that stood out to me about the Shanahan press conference on Friday night, too. You know, he, he alluded to it. Yeah, there's obviously some things going on that we don't know, but the biggest thing is the contract. And Shanahan said the contract situations like this make you know, life crazy in the NFL. So that's obviously the number one issue here at, at hand. Here's, here's the, um, the bottom line. As the 49ers try to fix this, the reality is they created this. I've said we cannot overemphasize this. They did something or didn't do something or failed to do something or failed Seems to say like something it, to keep Debo Agreed. Samuel from wanting out. Agreed. So they need they need to recalibrate their instruments that tell them what does and doesn't piss players off. And they need to ask themselves. They need to have a very candid self-evaluation of thyselves, as you would say. As to why this happened, it can't just be, well, boy, Debo, boy, he got up on the wrong side of the bed. It's got to be, there's something we did here. Did we lowball him? Did we not prioritize him? Did we send a message we didn't intend to send? Did a message we intended to send send the wrong message? But before they can fix it, you know, how do I make it better if I don't know how I made it worse? That's the bottom line. Yeah, they got to right, figure out how right, they made it worse before right. they can continue to come up with a plan for making it better. Yeah, no, I, they got their they got their hands full with between this and the Jimmy Garoppolo situation. That's uh, they're delicate. You know, it's one, it's money. Two, it's pretty important personalities on a football team to where the team's got to be careful. The the players respect these two guys a whole lot, and if they're too disrespectful in the treatment of either one of them. You know, getting them back or being, you know, getting them part of the band or everybody being quiet and just, hey, let's move forward and play football. That can make things very hard there in San Francisco. Going back to Fox all of a sudden may not look all that bad for John Lynch. I know that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. But you can't help but you wonder say, whether screw or not this sometimes crap. when he's, he's <laughs> right. in the middle of this, he's like, man, you don't have to worry about this stuff when you're calling games on TV. Let's go ahead and take <laughs> a break. We're going to hand out some superlatives from the 2022 draft when PFD Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, And with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. 
Here I am in front of all you folks. This is really exciting for me. So as a ex-former Minnesota Viking and former head coach at Blue Mountain State, <laughs> come on, we got to have some GOAT fans out there. <laughs> This is right in Charles' wheelhouse. <laughs> Go Goats, baby. Anyway. Is he going to get to the early? We, there you go. Read I, the, I can't read the card. She wants me to read the card. All right. Are we in the early years? <laughs> Let's go, Ed. Here we go, Ed. <laughs> he got us getting the hook. Not, not even any playoff music. Just read no. it. Just read it. <laughs> anyway, with the 42nd pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select... Defensive back, Andrew Booth from Clemson. Mercifully, that is a condensed version of what we heard and saw from Ed Marinero, the former Vikings running back, also played for the Jets and the Seahawks, and went on to be an actor, Hill Street Blues. I didn't know about Blue Mountain State. I don't know what channel that was on, but he was an actor on the popular show Hill Street Blues back in the days of three TV channels. Um. The full scope included an awkward and unfunny joke about the Packers. He went full Andy Bernard and pointed out that he went to Cornell. It, it was two or three minutes of unintended entertainment because it really wasn't good. And it really wasn't in the spirit of what it's about. I mean, if you want to be Drew Pearson and come out and troll the Eagles fans and do it well, that, that's the risk. If you're going to do anything other than read the name on the card and walk away, you better entertain the people. Because if you're going to get up there and treat it as Ed Marinero, this is your life, that's not going to last. And you are going to have somebody come out and ask you to read the effing card twice. She did not one. Twice. Here's the card. Read the card. Read the card. Yeah. Twice. Right. Read the card. Right. It was great. It was great. And and I, it the, the moment was memorable in a bad way, which just tells you how all of the moments they tried to create over the three-day draft that were supposed to be memorable in a good way weren't. Like the Blue Man Group, I don't know what the hell they were doing. Chris Angel, before night two, I don't know what the hell he was doing. I definitely don't know what the hell Ed Marinero was doing, but it was unintentionally very entertaining. It, it was. I mean, I didn't love it. I'm not going to lie. I mean, to me, it was kind of selfish and egotistical. He made it all about himself. It's not like Drew Pearson. He was talking about a rivalry that's one of the greatest rivalries great. in the town, great. right? Right. So that's a different thing. It was Cowboys-Eagles. Let's talk about that. He wasn't going, hey, I'm Drew Pearson, and let me tell you about my life and buy some more time here. You know, Marinara, he's from New Jersey, New Milford. It's not far from where I grew up. That was the ultimate meathead New Jersey move right there. It really was. It was just meathead. Like, it's just jerky. It's just a jerk, right? That's all. Poor Andrew Booth. I mean, we don't even know. Oh, who got drafted? I don't know. I was listening to some ex-actor jerk talk up there forever. That wasn't cool. That's what I didn't like about it. You know, don't make it about you. It's about the NFL. It's about kids who are about to get drafted and move on. You know, if you want to have a little fun, so what? But, I mean, yes, that was the short version. It went on for, what, two and a half, three minutes almost total? It only felt like an eternity. 
But it was one of those things where as it was happening, we had a collective moment Oh, you were of, like, what? Oh, like, my God. Like? I can't believe this is happening. Yes, no doubt. He did it long enough for people to, like, send out multiple tweets while it was happening. So it allowed us all to kind of rally around something. Yeah. At a time when we don't agree about anything, we all agreed that Ed Marinero should shut the hell up and read the effing card. Trivia. Next level. Unplanned. Who's the pick that was called by Drew Pearson after he trolled the Eagles fans in 2017? Oh, wait. So what round was it? Can you tell me that? Do you remember? Round two. It was round Round two? Round two, 2017. Round two, 2017. Damn it. I should know this. Um, All right, go ahead. Who is it? a historian. Who is it? Shadobi Awuzie. Oh, that was Shadobi Awuzie. That was Shadobi Awuzie. Yeah, right. Cool. Bangles corner now. Right. All right. right. Go ahead. Start Uh, up. Superlative. And and the the exact opposite of Ed Marinero in every way, shape, or form, or shape, way, or form, as the case may be, is Kevin Colbert. We've already praised him for his humility, his grace. He walks out of Pittsburgh on his own terms. He's a Pittsburgh guy. I mean, this is childhood dream come true stuff. He was 15 when the Steelers came of age in the 70s. Think about that. And he ends up being the general manager of the team and delivering two Super Bowl wins to go on top of the four that they got in the 70s. Here he is from his post-draft press, pro, easy for him to say, post-draft press conference, sitting with Mike Tomlin. Just just uh, enjoy the next minute or so, and uh, don't cut any onions while you do. How do you feel like you left the franchise? Uh, I don't want to say um, better than. I'm proud that we've added to that room. Um, there was four trophies. There was four when we got here, and you knew the task. Think about DMR. And being able to add to that room means a ton. But it doesn't mean it's over. The next step, I mean, we gotta we gotta get more than. And uh, we'll never lose that. But it means a lot. They went a long time between number four and number five from 79 to 2005. Colbert arrived as director of football operations in 2000 after a decade with the Lions. He got into scouting in 1984 after he had been involved in collegiate athletics, basketball and baseball at Robert Morris. Ohio Wesleyan, more involved in football, but the head baseball coach. Blesto scout a national service, caught the eye of Don Shula. That was his first mentor, working with Don Shula in Miami from 85 to 89. Detroit for 10 years as director of pro scouting, and then 20 years in Pittsburgh. You, you couldn't write it up any better. And responsible for teams that won two Super Bowls and uh, and not ready to to stop. And th- as we said earlier, they whoever gets that job, and I have no idea, they've interviewed like 100 people. Whoever gets that job needs to keep Kevin Colbert around. Yeah, I'm with you there, 100%. Uh, we we hit on it. You know, it's a great football mind. Understands how to build a football team. Understands the culture of the city of Pittsburgh, the Steelers themselves, and 
Yeah, I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, he just, you go, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have him around, pick his brain. You know, what did he do? How does he see these linebackers and receivers we talk about? And he's not going to be one like, you know, pounding the table or talking to the media, trying to take credit behind the scenes or something like that. So uh, I, 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 he's going to stay. It's just Pittsburgh. It's just the way they are there. It's why they're a special organization. You know, you're good people. You're all in on the Steelers. They keep you around. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think that's one of the things I really respect about what the Roonies have done there. You know, he after the draft, I'll, I'll do five to ten, and this year maybe more like ten to fifteen interviews with general managers just to go over their draft classes and just talk about whatever comes up. And Kevin Colbert always does it, and I've asked for him, and you know, he he's choosing to keep a low profile. And I I told Bert Lawton from the Steelers, you know, the fact that he doesn't want a victory lap makes him deserve a victory lap even more. I mean, you know, the, the humility. You know, he, he's a guy that wouldn't want to be in the Hall of Fame. That makes him deserve it even more. He's a guy that wouldn't want to have an award named after him. It makes him deserve it even more. That's the kind of personality that we need to look up to. You just do your job. You go about your business. And if other people notice it, great. If they don't, great. I don't care. I'm just here to do my job. Yeah, no, I, I, I know. Exactly right. That's kind of what they got there all together. You know, it's just it's a group of people that and I've heard Mike Tomlin refer to it too. I walk in every day, I see those damn trophies. That's all I think about. I got to get another trophy. You know, what are we going to do to make Pittsburgh better today? They're 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 um, a very special organization that way, and it'll be interesting to see where they go with the GM thing and whoever the GM is going to be in a good spot. That's for sure. Um, all right, well, I'm going to go to another team in their division for the my superlative. <laughs> The Ravens. The Ravens continuing their pillaging of the baddest mofos on the planet once again in the draft. I'm just amazed by them. I mean, uh, Eric DaCosta deserves a lot of credit. I think they, they're probably the team I look at to go one or two, three top teams in the draft, hands down, just what they did. Absolutely killed it. First off, I mean, first two round, the first two picks in the first round, I mean, Kyle Hamilton, awesome safety. I mean, just high floor, incredible football player. This day and age in the NFL, you know, safety, nickel guy, linebacker, whatever. He's going to be all over the place. Get an awesome center in Linderbaum out of Iowa, also in the first round. Then get a first-round pass rusher who's coming off an Achilles tear. They got him. Travis Jones, one of the big D tackles, is the best in the draft. Then they get a giant tackle from Minnesota and another good two tight ends down the draft. I mean, to me, they killed it. They absolutely killed the draft, the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, I'm just amazed with the off-seasons they seem to consistently have year after year. It's pretty impressive. Check out Football Morning in America. Peter King was in the draft room for round four. That was a round that Eric DeCosta had pegged as oh. critical because that what, what happened was – because of the COVID year and guys who decided to exercise the option to come back for another year, you had a much more deep and robust class of players. He knew there was going to be a lot of action in round four. They set it up last year with compensatory picks by not signing their own free agents. They got extra compensatory picks. They traded in. They ended up with like six fourth-round picks or something ridiculous like that, and he walks through minute by minute how they use those picks to get the kind of players that they have, and they found some great players in round four over the years, and uh, I have a feeling it's going to continue. Mike, Mike let me just hit on DaCosta's another one th- yeah. that doesn't go out looking for no. praise. He's been with that team since 1996. Exactly. I mean, just he just fits it. It's a, well, it's another team that I think has a lot of the things we just talked about with the Steelers. 
they just they got all the right touch, the the right way they treat people, the players, you know, what Ozzie Smith installed there into their their scouting community, you know, but or yeah, Ozzie Newsom. Ozzie Newsom, Ozzie Smith. He was a good shortstop. Ozzie was a good tight end. Uh <laughs> but I mean, Mike, I, I think there's a real thing there. I mean, like they got a corner from Alabama, Jalen Armour Davis. He was one of my top five corners in the draft. He's every bit as some, good as some of the guys that got drafted late first, early second, in my opinion. He just only really played one year at Alabama, so uh, and he had a few injury concerns. But between him, they got two tight ends that are phenomenal in the pass game. They got Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina, who's going to be like a receiver, Evan Ingram-ish type of guy that's going to be unbelievable route runner. And then they got this Charlie Kohler, who's just, just this giant, huge pass-catching tight end at Iowa State, who's really good in the pass game. I mean, they they killed the draft. They really did. I mean, it, they definitely are the team that maybe jumps out to me more than all the others. And they know those angles better than anyone. They stockpile compensatory picks. They work the angles every single day. And, and on that point, before we take a break, today's the day that the window for compensatory picks closes. So you may see a little kick in free agency uh-huh. because any free agents signed after today, it doesn't count. If, if you're a team that is trying to avoid signing free agents so you maximize your compensatory pick haul after today, you go sign that guy like a, like a Tyron Matthew, for example, or a Dwayne Brown, it doesn't count toward the compensatory draft pick formula at all. That used to come in June. They moved it back to May, and it's smart. It's now right after the draft. Let's let these guys go get jobs without teams worrying about whether or not it's going to screw up their compensatory picks. Let's go ahead and take a break. Some more quarterback talk coming out of the 2022 draft when PFT Live continues right after this. There are the quarterbacks that were taken in the 2022 draft. As you look down the column on the left with all of the logos, you will not see the profile of a Seahawk. No quarterbacks drafted by the Seattle Seahawks. Pete Carroll said that the team is happy with the quarterbacks on the roster after not drafting any. He also said at a press conference over the weekend that as they embark on their competition, Geno Smith is the leader because he's been there. He knows the offense. Obviously, they have higher hopes for Drew Locke. Jacob Eason is just kind of the afterthought, I think. But, uh, you know, Chris, we talked about them in connection with Baker Mayfield. They haven't made a move yet. I don't know what else they're going to do. I don't know what they could do. I don't know what they plan to do. There could be a certain amount of stubbornness on Pete's part that, hey, we could just run our offense with Geno Smith, and it may not be that big of a drop-off from what it was with Russell Wilson. Well, I, I I do think they're one of those teams that's not scared to do it, that they believe in, like, you know, the team building. They won a Super Bowl without Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. Uh, we got to remember that. So I think they are one of those teams that are like that to a degree. I do believe them in the fact that they kind of like Geno and Drew Locke. Uh, this does seem like they're they're just – they're not the type of team that's going to sell the farm or – you know, be ultra aggressive for a guy like Baker Mayfield. They're going to sit back and let it go. They're they're going to have the same thoughts we did. Like, what are they really going to keep him? What what are their options? Like, I mean, we're not going to give too much. We got issues on our team here. We're trying to fill holes. They're not going to give it away for a guy that doesn't look like they can realistically keep. So they'll go down this way. And you, I mean, you said it right, Mike, to a degree. I mean, hey, we don't even know how what Russell Wilson could totally be. I mean, he was handicapped, handy handcuffed to a degree when he was there. They never let it go. So uh, they're going to play, run the ball, be conservative, throwing the football, and try to play through defense, just like we saw Seattle kind of start their 
their first dynasty that way. You know, I'm thinking back to the many press conference transcripts I ended up skimming over the weekend. John Schneider, the GM of the Seahawks, made an intriguing statement at one point that I think shows a lot about what he thinks about the quarterback dynamic. I think he shies away from bringing in a guy who has all the added pressure of being a top quarterback. He understands how difficult it is, how much pressure it is, how much scrutiny goes with it. Russell Wilson was pick number 75, three selections after a punter, and it just kind of happened organically. I think they're hoping that something happens organically, not that they're going to force anything, which would tell me they're not going to go after Baker Mayfield. In hindsight, yeah, they're not going to go get one of the top quarterbacks. They just want to have a plan and let it play out and stay tuned. Maybe it'll work. The Washington Commanders have a plan, and that is Carson Wentz. They're going to keep Taylor Heineke as a backup, but they've added Sam Howell, the North Carolina quarterback, who was one of the favorites to be the first overall pick a year ago. Now he's the sixth guy off the board, a fifth-round choice, the very first pick in round five, and a guy that the Washington Commanders can try to develop as a potential successor to Carson Wentz or not. You know, there are a lot of these teams that are always looking to add a quarterback in the mid to late rounds, always developing, and you never know which guy's going to pop. Right. No, you don't. You don't know what's going to pop. You don't know what the – you know, the, the potential of the development is, you know, sometimes you get in there and you go, damn, this guy actually could be our starter one day. Sometimes you get him in there and you go, okay, he'll never be a starter here, but we'd be happy to have him as a backup for a long time. Howell smart, right? Believe he had the highest, you know, Wonderlick score out of all the quarterbacks coming out in the draft. He, from the pocket, Mike, as we've discussed with some of the other quarterbacks, like where Malik Willis is really raw, Sam Howell is one of the few guys in this draft where you could really see him go through the field within the pocket and do that. But the throwing has issues. There's there's throws that are just, you know, hey, listen, I'll go to the NFL Combine. His, he threw two out routes to the right. He bounced them there. Like, I, I don't know. I've never seen a really good quarterback just bounce out routes like with nobody playing defense out there. There's some issues there with his mechanics. He's Baker Mayfield light. You know, he scrambles, he's tough, he's got some moxie and all of that, but I don't know if his game translates to the NFL quite that way. He's got some refining to do, but I think that's like a good pick in the fifth round by Washington. He's one of those guys that does have some potential, and maybe you do have something to work with here. He's 6'2 and looks shorter than that, I know. doesn't he? The yes, way he's he put does. together? Yes, it, it is. It's uh, He's got a, a thick build to him. He's... You know, got a thick lower half. It allows him to break tackles and do that. But at the same time, he scrambles, takes way too many sacks. And I don't know if that type of scrambling that he got away with in college football, just like Johnny Manziel, it's not going to translate to the NFL. And that's probably why he was on the board still at the fifth round. Well, if he ever does want to give up football and try acting, you'd have to go through the buffet line a few dozen times to get there. But he could play John Belushi. In a biopic, in a heartbeat. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. All right, let's take a break. We're going to draft the biggest winners coming out of the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. All right, the draft is over, and I I have already given out grades for all 32 teams. They wow. are complete as Look always. I've been doing that for years, but it's I I don't like the process of trying to grade these drafts because you really don't know. I remember when the Seahawks got like an F after the 2012 draft with yeah. Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Yeah. And, and, and I know it's all assessed by perceived value. There's this obsession with value. People are crapping on Bill Belichick because he could have gotten Cole Strange later. Well, first of all, how do you know he could have gotten well, yeah, Cole that, Strange that, later? Oh, and second I'm, of all, yes. 
Let's hit what? on that for a second. I was going to bring that up All in right. our superlative segment. Like, first off, like how, first off, like is disrespectful the world of like, wait, the guy who's the greatest ever, like how we're going to question him and call him an idiot for what he's doing. Like what? James Cook was, I mean, Cole Strange was the next lineman off the board. On the Chris Sims big board, it would have been him or the, uh, the center from um, Nebraska. It was one of those two. It was a guy I talked about a lot. He wasn't going to be on the board much longer. There was a run of offensive linemen. He was one of the few left that could actually play, like now, right away. So, like, for people to say, like, you know, because the McVeigh thing was a jump off, and I don't think McVeigh intended it the way he wanted it to come off there. No, no, no right. they were drinking. Yeah, exactly. They were drinking. He, he was probably a little surprised that it was the end of the first round. They did study him because you don't know how the draft could fall, right? I mean, the Rams probably didn't think Malik Wallace, Willis was going to be on the board in the third round either. That's the way the draft is. It's crazy. So, yes, but damn. I mean, people like act like this guy was some fourth-round pick and I, the Patriots took him at the but, end of but the But listen, first. listen, we, yeah. just ha- we just have to accept it. All these people who have never worked for teams and never will know more than Bill Belichick, so we just have to accept that. Yeah. All right, give me a team that won the draft. All right, well, I'll go with the Lions. I talked about the Ravens. You know what? I really think the – well, screw that. Let's go to the Ravens. Let's just make it because I'm going to just go with it. They won the draft, in my opinion. I know I talked about them the last segment, but they're the team that, number one, I'm going to give Eric DaCosta all the love all day long they won the draft good for the Ravens I I like what the Giants did I know Kayvon Thibodeau is a projection but if he hits yeah it's a home run right and to get their top offensive tackle because Evan Neal was the guy they had at number one I'm told and it's easy to say it now but I wanted Evan Neal they got Evan Neal They, well, they wanted Evan Neal, and they got him, and they got Kayvon Thibodeau. You build from the inside out, not the outside in. When they have been good, they've had good offensive and defensive lines and uh, good for the Giants to address those needs. We'll see what Thibodeau becomes. It all hinges on Thibodeau. No no, no question. I mean, that, that's going to be the big one. You're right. I love everything. He's the one that's the question mark to me. Um, but but I'm, I'm excited for the Giants draft, nonetheless, as a Giants fan. Well, the next one I'm going to is the, the, the kneecap biters. I am. I mean, they chewed some kneecaps all through the draft. The Lions, they kicked some butt. I mean, they really did. I Just first off, to get Aiden Hutchinson, make the move for Jameson Williams big time. The DN they got in the second round, Mike, would have, to me was, was in the conversation for one of the five best DNs in the draft. I mean, they, they are a team to me that uh, I thought they made some moves through their team that were splash and like playmakers. You know, they got the depth and all, like, the good stuff. Now they need some guys that can make some plays and take pressure off the team. And uh, I think they got that in this draft. I'm going to go with the Eagles because, mm-hmm. in addition to their picks, they got A.J. Brown. Yeah. They got proven commodity right. over projection, and they managed to trade up and get Jordan Davis before the Ravens could. They wanted that successor to Fletcher Cox, and they got him. Howie Roseman making magic. Think about where this team was. I think Peter King pointed this out today. 16 months ago, They kind of felt like they were in disarray. They've gotten their act together pretty quickly, and that's one of the reasons why Roseman got an extension. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. We've got to take a break and do round three next. I'll give Howie love. We'll take a break. We'll do round three next. He'll give Howie some love, and then we'll do round three. We'll be right back. All right, there are the first two rounds. We praised the Eagles before the break, and I cut Chris off before he could – Join in the Howie Love Fest. What do you got to say? Well, I mean, he just... And then make your pick. He's got a plan always. That's what I like about Howie. I mean, they just always seem like they're a player in every draft. And they have, like, some sort of thing laid out beforehand. And they play it the right way. 
And then, like you said, to do what they did, get A.J. Brown, make some of the picks they made, they were big time that way, and then didn't trade away any of your first-round picks for next year. We're going in the next year's draft with two first-round picks. I mean, yeah, Howie's he's learned how to play the draft for sure. Uh, I'm a big fan. All right, next team. Uh, you, you took one of the New York teams. I'll go with the other New York team. The J-E-T-S killed it, killed it, killed it. I mean, the first three, the first three picks in the first, you know, the first round, they were amazing. Sauce Gardner, you know, Jameis, I mean, not Jameis Williams, uh, Garrett Wilson at Ohio State, and then Jermaine Johnson in the 20s to make that move there. But then to add to your quarterback Shanahan run scheme, Brees Hall, maybe the most explosive, like, highlight running back in the draft, give him a seam and he can go 70 yards to the house and then got the best tight end, in my opinion, too. The guy's a Jets fan from Long Island out of Ohio State, Jeremy Ruckert. So that just, to me, was really, really good. And then got a fourth-round lineman that's pretty damn good to help out the team as well. Joe Douglas, I thought, did a a hell of a job. We talked earlier about the Chiefs getting Sky Moore Mm. to help the passing game. But in round one, they didn't freak out. They they trade up to get cornerback Trent McDuffie, plug and play as a starter in the secondary, and then they get George Karloftis to help beef up the pass rush. They got Chris Jones, Frank Clark, who knows how much longer he's going to be on the team. But right. they took care of their defense. It yeah. can't all be offense for the Chiefs, but they got around to the offense. They did well. Tough division, tough conference. They got to keep reloading, and I'm happy with what they did. Yeah, tough. I, you know, you look at that division. I think them and Denver did the best in the draft. But Mike, I mean, I think Veach and Andy Reid a little bit like what we just talked about with Howie Roseman. They just always seem to be a plan. There's always a player. They always make moves to where you go. That makes sense. And I, I'm with you, Mike. That would they they were on my list as well. I mean, they did a phenomenal job. I think in free agency and the draft this year. Thanks to all of you for giving us some of your time on this Monday post-draft. There'll be plenty more to discuss as the off-season programs ramp up. More free agents are available. We didn't mention Tyron Matthew. Yeah. Reportedly, the Saints making a big push to sign him. We'll be all over that and everything else. We'll see you tomorrow morning for another edition of PFT Live. Thanks as always. See ya. Feel the pulse of the city. Feel the beat of the drum. Feel the bass blow your hair. In Las Vegas, live music delivers much more than sound. It's where music comes alive. With artists like Megan Thee Stallion, Maroon 5, Carrie Underwood, Shania Twain, Babyface, Lionel Richie, and many more. Every show is a playground for your senses. See the full summer lineup at visitlasvegas.com. 